Well, still to come, as mentioned, uh, 10 o'clock is when we're going to find out uh, publicly what David Johnston, the special rapporteur, has found and recommended with regard to uh, foreign interference. So we'll have much more to come on that uh, in our next hour and uh, well, probably for the last couple of hours on the program here today. A few other issues we'll get to, including the latest on the Albert election. But I want to focus on whistleblower protection, an area where Canada sadly lags. There is legislation that would uh, provide a long overdue update and fixing of Canada's whistleblower laws, Bill C-290. But it doesn't appear that the government is too interested in moving forward on that. In fact, there's some concern that maybe the Liberals are trying to kill this bill or change it beyond recognition. But this puts Canada at odds with what we're seeing in much of the world, where there has been a strengthening of whistleblower protection. As our next guest points out in a recent op-ed in the Globe and Mail, our law for protecting federal government whistleblowers has been in operation for 16 years at a total cost to taxpayers of more than $100 million. Yet, incredibly, it has never protected a single whistleblower. So why is Canada lagging in this area? What more needs to be done and why does it all matter? Well, joining us for more is David Hutton, a senior fellow with the Center for Free Expression at Toronto Metropolitan University. They operate a free confidential helpline. Uh, for whistleblowers, and he joins us on the line here this morning. David, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start with Bill C-290. Um, you know, does this represent possibly some some meaningful change, a, a long overdue update to, to whistleblower protection, or what, what do you make of the legislation itself, first of all? Well, it's interesting that this has come from a private member. Uh, the, the government, uh, in fact, commissioned a review of the law back in 2017, uh, and the, that uh, committee that did that work did a fantastic job with uh, writing a unanimous report with sweeping recommendations for change, uh, which were all completely ignored. So that was the last time we had any movement at all in this file back in 2017. Uh, so we were very happy to see a private member's bill come forward this year, uh, which uh, has some limitations because it can't authorize new funds, mm-hmm. but it could make it could make a difference and uh, cause some movement in this file after you know six years of nothing happening at all. Right, but the the prospects for this bill succeeding don't look great. Is that fair to say? <laughs> No, they don't. I mean, as I mentioned, a private member's bill has limitations, right. uh, and the, there's a time limit here. If it's not tabled in Parliament by the 21st of uh, this month, uh, then, um, sorry, by the 21st of next month, then it will die. And it very much looks as if the Liberals are just slow walking this. Uh, they've introduced a lot of last minute amendments, and some of the discussion that's taken place in the committee just seems like efforts to to run the clock out you know the the discussions about issues that just don't make any sense right so this government unfortunately i guess like governments before not showing any real interest in improving and updating whistleblower protection laws so why is that do you think well my observation is that no one in power really wants this So opposition parties are keen on it, uh, critics of the government. Anyone who wants to see corruption exposed more readily is for this type of legislation. And incidentally, all all of the European countries now are mandated to introduce strong whistleblower protection. That's something that's just happened over the last year or so. So there's a worldwide movement here, but in Canada we're just at the back of the bus. And um, uh, I think the public... Possibly the public doesn't understand 
enough what's at stake right. here and how prevalent corruption is in this country. Right, and as you say, I mean, we're, we're falling further and further behind. But yes, let's talk about why this matters. Why do we need meaningful whistleblower protection laws? Well, if you think of it this way, we all know that corruption can take place in any organization, anywhere, anywhere in Canada, government, uh, business, you name it. And that tends to harm the public interest. It tends to ha- harm the public directly. You know, every time you swallow a, a pharmaceutical pill, you get in a plane or a train. There's so many times in our lives that we're dependent on other people having done their jobs competently for our own safety. And if corruption can be swept under the carpet, then we're at risk all the time because of this. And uh, now whistleblowers are, you can think of them like a whole brigade of inspectors and auditors who are already out there on the job and seeing what's going on. And if they could speak up freely about what they see, then it would be much harder to cover up scams that can, that can cause harm. Uh, but at the moment they cannot because they're simply crushed and silenced. Right. And, you know, it's, it's maybe an ironic title, the Public Servants Disclosure Protection Act, which you say really doesn't offer much, if any, protection. No, in fact, it, it turns out it does the opposite. It, it actually, it's not a law that's ineffective in the sense that it's sitting there doing nothing. I mean, there's a, the integrity commissioner's office is a staff of about 30 people, um, and they're constantly in operation. But what it's doing is covering up wrongdoing and crushing whistleblowers. It, it covers up the wrongdoing by taking the information about suspected wrongdoing that people take to that office and basically burying it. It's hidden from access to information completely, not just for 10 years or 25 years, but forever. So that's what happens to information about the wrongdoing. And then the whistleblowers, if they experience reprisals, which most do, then they go to that office, same office with a complaint of reprisal. Uh, they really have no chance of success because of the way that the law is written. And instead, what, what happens is they get caught up in bureaucratic, costly procedures that are rigged against them uh, with no chance of ever getting uh, any kind of remedy. And really, it forms like another layer of reprisal on top of what they're experiencing already. Like, you give some numbers in your piece, which are pretty staggering. So, since 2007, there's been more than 1,500 public servant whistleblowers who have come forward. Now, of those, 500 subsequently complained of reprisals. But out of those 1,500, only two managed to to get through this whole process, or two of those 500. uh, And and both of them were unsuccessful. So, That's that's quite the track record. Yeah, this is a pretty awful track record, but it's to be expected based on the way the law is written. You know, the buyers and the whistleblowers way when they submit a complaint of reprisal is that, first of all, the integrity commissioner has to look at this and give them permission to go to the tribunal, which is the only body that can actually give them a remedy. Uh, and in fact, the, the commissioner's only ever allowed um, six or seven people to go to that tribunal. Uh, that's a tiny, tiny number. And what's that based on? Well, nothing, because the Integrity Commission has no powers of inquiry when it comes to reprisals. All they can do is go to the departments that concerned and say, did you take reprisals against this person? And, of course, they're going to say no. Um, and the commissioner has, in that situation, the commissioner has no powers to subpoena people, uh, to uh, to um, obtain documents or anything like that. 
So they've a gatekeeper role, which they use to block nearly everyone from getting to the tribunal based on no, no authority or power to do that. When you get to the tribunal, there's a, the, the law is written in such a way well, the whistleblower has essentially no chance of success. It's a, there's a legal issue here. It's called reverse onus, and it means that um, in other jurisdictions, when the whistleblower comes forward and shows that they suffered adverse actions soon after um, making a, a, a blowing the whistle, then the burden of proof shifts on to the employer to show that that was not a reprisal. We don't have that, and without that, a whistleblower will almost never prevail. So the whole thing is set up in a way that the whistleblower can never succeed. So what do we mean when we talk about reprisals? Well, <laughs> I'd encourage anyone listening to go and listen to the testimony given before the Government Operations Committee. Mm-hmm. You can see this on Parlview, and you'll hear people talking about life-changing, cruel uh, measures taken against them, which uh, not, not just losing their jobs, but losing their careers because they're blacklisted, uh, their um, personal details being given to uh, third parties who are organized crime, uh, someone had his pensions paused for four years. Uh, you know, the, the, the testimony before that committee is just horrific and heartbreaking. And uh, and this is this is normal. This is the normal way that whistleblowers are treated, and we know that because we've you know I've operated a helpline for a number of years and um, dealt with more more than four hundred whistleblowers, and the story of the reprisals is nearly always the same. It's um, illegal, uh, life changing. Um, measures taken against the person that means they may never work again and in their career they may never work at all, they'll probably end up with PTSD, their families will be broken up and they may end up homeless as well. We'll see where this all goes from here. Much more at uh, the Center for Free Expression. It's cfe.torontomu.ca David Hutton, thank you so much for joining us here today. Appreciate the insight.